What's up, guys? Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show lined up for you guys today because it is our March Madness preview show. Now, I do want to appoint viewers, uh, listeners as well to our YouTube live stream that we did on Selection Sunday. Um, that was our reaction to the March Madness reveal that we saw in terms of the selections. And we broke down you know, each region. We talked a lot about the NBA prospects in each region. So if you guys did not check out that live stream, I definitely want you guys to go over there and check that out. You can find that on our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. Today, we'll focus more on these matchups. We'll go a little more in depth, maybe not so much on the NBA draft uh, ramifications for these matchups, but we really want to break down these teams and give you guys our picks for what we think will happen in this NCAA tournament. So that'll be a ton of fun. We also have to talk about Tom Brady his return to the NFL, his unlikely return to the NFL. So we'll we'll start with that in, in a couple of minutes. So this should be a great pod. I mean, I'm happy to be here, happy to be with my guy, Kendall Stewart, who joins me today. And Kendall, as you know, yesterday I found the news out about Tom Brady in very kind of <laughs> surprising fashion. We had uh we 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 had uh finished our our live stream and I was, you know, talking about our live stream, how great it was. And I go to my phone, and I'm like, oh, crap, Tom Brady's back? And you're like, oh, yeah, you didn't know that? And I'm like, yeah. no, I was, re- I was preparing for the live stream. I was ready to go for that. I was trying to get all my notes prepared. And it's crazy because it happened, you know, a good time before we actually end up recording. But I was locked in on making sure our live stream went well. And I think it did go well. But it Tom been, Brady is back. Kendall. It would have been hilarious had I, uh, like, said a joke about, like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Got upended by Tom Brady, decided he's coming back. And that's how you would have found out. Yeah, I would have been like, wait, what? What do you mean Tom Brady's coming back? <laughs> that would have been that would have been gold. That would have been YouTube gold if you would have done Oh, that. yeah. Because <laughs> I did not know. I, I did a whole hour and 40-minute live stream and, you know, 15 minutes of prepare, of uh, trying to set it up because we had some technical issues. And during any of that time, I did not know that Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback to ever play in the NFL, is indeed back and unretired. I mean, to me, Kendall, what's funny about this thing, man, is I, I love all the jokes we're seeing about uh, retired fatherhood and how it ain't for everybody. Because that's just the feeling everybody gets with this Tom Brady return. Is that he he came to the crib, took one look at what it meant to go to PTA meetings and have to <laughs> drive <laughs> kids to school at 8.20 to get your kids dressed at 7 a.m. He did that. He was like, yo, man, them hits from Aaron Donald, they ain't that bad. Yeah. You know, like, you know, let's go run some rock. Yeah, you know, yo, do- dodging dodging Khalil Mack pass rushes, I, 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 I'll I, do that for another year. Then going to another soccer practice, then uh, it, it, it doing it. Like, like that, he, he decided that all that was worth it. <laughs> all yeah. of the punishment, all of the preparation, all of the all the stuff that it takes, all of it was worth it. If it meant he didn't have to do the retired stay-at-home dad responsibilities, and to me, I know we talked about it a little bit off air, but I said it at the time, and I felt it as he came up to these weeks leading up to this return, so to speak, is that I didn't feel like he wanted to retire. I felt like Giselle, his his wife, Giselle, the supermodel. I'm not sure if she's former supermodel. I guess I don't know how that works. I don't. I don't know if you ever really retired as a supermodel, but. Nonetheless, uh, his, his wife is a highly successful, uh, yeah, a fashion mobile for sure, like a model mobile, whatever you want to call that. Um, 
You know, she had apparently expressed that she was not comfortable seeing him take them hits from Aaron Donald and people like that. No, he don't really be taking that many hits. You know, he does a very good job of protecting himself. The Bucks and all the teams he's played for have done an excellent job putting offensive lines together. But seeing him in that line of fire had apparently driven her to the point where she felt like it was time for him to come home and be a dad. And that's essentially what he said in his retirement announcement. And none of it at all in any of his statements mentioned his lack of love for football or his lack of love for um, for the work that goes into the preparation. Because we heard that between like Brett Favre when it came to that back and forth. That, oh, he really doesn't like, like that all that mini camp stuff and all that OTA stuff and all the training camps. Like, he don't really want to do that if he don't have to. Like, we heard that with other guys where it's like there were some aspects of football that made them decide, eh, maybe I don't want to do this, even if they were on the fence. With Tom Brady, Kendall, we never heard that. It was always just his family wants him home. <laughs> so when it comes to that, to me, it felt like his family was pulling him away from what is his, is his passion, is his, I, I think in his eyes, is his life mission, which is to play football at the highest level for the longest that he can and to show that um, he is indeed the greatest, or if not the greatest, one of the greatest. I think that means a lot to him. And there was another thing that also means a lot to him, which I, I, you know he loves his family. There's no doubt about that, no question about that. But there was something pulling him there that made him decide, well, I guess I got to let this go. And, they, you know, I get the feeling that he was around the house. He probably was kind of miserable. They kind of saw that, you know, if he's going to be like this, then he might as well just go back. We don't need him in this mindset, in this uh, disposition. And Giselle left it up to him and said, yo, do you, do you, I think he said, yo, do you, want, do you really want to play? You want to go back? He said, yeah. And she was like, all right, peace. So here we are. That's why Tom Brady is now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. That's why I think all those folks that were, you know, talking about uh, Bruce Arians crazy saying that, oh, he was being disrespectful by not letting Tom Brady you know, explore the explore possible other opportunities to play elsewhere if indeed he does want to come back. I mean, that, that, all that sounds ridiculous now because Tom Brady had zero leverage. He wants to play football badly. He wants to play it so badly that he's willing to go against the wishes of his family to do it. Why would Bruce Arians give him an out to let him do what he wants when he what he wants to do more desperately than anything to play football, period? It's not about playing football in San Francisco or in some other city. He just wants to play. He just wants to prove that he's the best. He just has that competitive drive that we've rarely seen, only from a person like Mike or Larry Bird. Um, or, or I'm trying to think of baseball people like like a like a like a Derek, Derek Jeter, um, you know, a, a very rare you see this level of competition, this level of of want in terms of wanting to be the best. He's in a different stratosphere. So for fans to think that it was smart for Bruce Arians to give away his leverage and potentially lose out on a guy that has that kind of competitive fire that absolutely can go into next season and give the Buccaneers a chance at winning a Super Bowl. To me, you don't know anything about football or anything about competition. If you thought that that would have been smart business for him to kind of even leave that door open, that he can go into next season with Tom Brady playing on an NFL field and not be in that Buccaneers red and whatever that other color is that they would call. It's not gold. I don't know what you would call it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that, that, that would have been stupid. So I think everybody deserves to put some respect on Bruce Arians' name. And in terms of Tom Brady, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that we're here. He didn't sound happy, cool. retired. He didn't. Yeah. I, I, I felt like this day was probably going to come, and here we are. 
Yeah. Um, I was very surprised by it. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like Brady, one, I have a conspiracy theory on what happened. But before right, I get to that, to hear I, that yeah. I'll explain why I'm surprised. I'm, I'm surprised because when everybody was talking about and speculating, all right, when's Brady coming back? Is he going to play in San Fran this season? Is he going to come back to Tampa? I never got the idea that Brady was be was was sick of being at home when he just retired. You know, it never really made sense to me that, like, he like how can you miss how can you miss the game when it's the off season? You know, like the season hasn't even started. Um, like you mentioned, with a with a Brett Favre esque kind of situation, and what I think you 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 mentioned that is that separates the two is Tom Brady enjoys that part of the game. He, he, he revels in the, the preparation and, you know, the, the lonely hours and the dark, the, you know, the, the work that's done in the dark um, rather than just Sundays. Uh, obviously that all the work that you put in Monday through Saturday is what, is is what we see unfold on Sundays, and that's really where Tom Brady is at his best. Um, and I feel like that's something where, one, I think he he understood that that was something that he he enjoyed, but then also, obviously, the timing of it, uh, he wanted to get he wanted to come back before free agency. You know, he didn't want to put the team to bind. Uh, you know, hold out up until uh, <laughs> up until uh, you know the start of the season, you know, even, you know, past the preseason and then all of a sudden decide before week one, yeah, I'm back. And then now the team doesn't have Leonard Fournette or the team doesn't have Rob Gronkowski or the team doesn't have, um, you know, Ryan Jensen. So those, those, those are the, obviously the reasons why he decided now to come back, even though it, it, it's weird timing. I wouldn't have expected it particularly so soon. Um, after I decides to retire, but my conspiracy as to why I think he's coming back after or why he's unretiring after retiring, you know, about a month, month and a half ago. Um, I think that the plan for him to retire was put into motion well before he made it to see. I think, I think that for whatever reason, I don't know if it was coming into the season, some point midway through the season. I think it was. I think he knew that this was going to be his last season, for a while, and I think as as with as close as they got, as brutal of a loss that they had to to the Rams, as high of a level as he played this season, coming off a you know a MVP runner up type of season, I think I think he said to himself that he you know he I think he went through with it. He went through with the initial plan. He had right. the movie he wanted to make. And I guess, I don't know the deals with that. I'm assuming the Bucks are going to let him still do all that stuff. You know, he had other ventures that he probably put himself into. If they felt like he's in a box. And then, but, I, but I also think that in these weeks after his retirement, he's been contemplating, should I just, should I scrap all this? Just go back and play again. I'm not really, I don't really, that's why he talks about he has unfinished business. I don't, I think when he, when he says that, I think he means that, I think he thinks that, he can still play at a high level. I mean, there are very few athletes that we see who are on great teams, who are great players at the end of their careers that decide to retire. You know? Yeah, I mean, like, and, and, usually, and honestly, usually they usually they come back. 
like Michael Jordan when he left the Bulls. It, yes. Like there was no question. Had the Bulls come back in 1999, and they brought everybody back, and Jordan was back, and Pippen was back, and Favorites. Robin was back, and 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 Phil, they re-signed Phil. They would have been favorites to win a championship again. Like there was no oh yeah. they clearly barely got through this one and and you know we don't know what's gonna happen next year. Like Pippen had a bad back and he had some injuries that season, but like the Bulls were still the Bulls. And to me, and well, guess what? And, you know he was gone for three years and then he did. And Michael decided I think I can still play again and then he decided to come back. You know, like like I feel like when you see those things happen, of course you know you talk about plenty of boxers throughout the years, Floyd Mayweather. Um, you know, retiring yes. and unretiring because they like they like when you see guys look that good in their quote unquote retirement season. Oftentimes, they decide, nah, I can't do that. I'm coming back. Brett Favre, Brett Favre actually retired. We kind of forget about that. Yeah, like that whole thing with him in Green Bay and the Aaron Rodgers drama. Like he had a whole retirement announcement. He shed tears at a Green Bay yeah, Packer news conference. He was done. He might have even sent in his retirement papers, and. But he just came off of another, you know, Pro Bowl caliber season. The Packers had, you know, what many people thought was the ch- a great chance of winning a Super Bowl that year. After until you know he threw the pick uh, against the Giants in that frigid, cold game in that NFC Championship game. Like, like a lot of times those guys who play at that elite elite level that decide oh, I'm gonna walk away. Usually they come back. I, I, Look at the Hall of Fame quarterback. It's very rare you see that guy. Those guys don't actually unretire. Now that you think about it. The Hall of Fame or future Hall of Fame quarterbacks that we that we've seen retire in recent years, a lot of times it's been been because they aren't physically able to play it. Yeah, they're cooked. Like Drew Brees was cooked. Like Drew I mean, Reed, it was clear. Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, Phil Rivers, Philip Rivers, Phil Rivers, probably the best out of all. Yeah, of them. yeah, he was better than all those guys, but I mean, he still was nowhere near. No, he, nowhere near the prime version. Right, and he wasn't a guy where it's like, oh, I can win a Super Bowl next year. Like he <laughs> yeah. may have been able to play, but like it was like, okay, you're a decent middle of the road kind of quarterback. And right. there's no point to keep taking hits. And there was no to be tender that, that wanted Philip Rivers. Right, I mean, exactly. The Saints were talking about bringing him in, and he considered that option in the middle of the season, and even he turned it down. He probably looked at the roster and was like, I don't, I don't know if we're winning season. Um, so yeah, I mean, th- those types of guys, and that's what makes Brady such an anomaly. Well, you very much. I to mention Peyton football. Manning in that too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Peyton Manning as well. You know, it's very much like LeBron James where, I mean, just an ageless sort of figure right now in the ability to play at such a high level at such an old age. Um, it's hard to really predict when that guy is going to retire. If you would have told me two months ago. You know, like at the start of the playoffs, is Tom Brady coming back next season? I would have said, of course. Why would he retire now? Yeah. He's talking. He was always. He's always talked about playing until he's forty-five at least, maybe fifty. And we always assumed, well, will he be able to get to that point before like his body won't let him play to that age? Right now, that's not the case. And I, I always, we always have to understand the context with Tom Brady. You know, he's not. To, he, he was. He was runner up. He's runner up for MVP. But he's not the second best player in the league. Probably not the second best quarterback in the league. But with that being said, he's top five, top six, and with yeah, that, you don't you don't got to be the second best to win a Super Bowl. You don't have to be. The Aaron Rodgers been to... the Aaron Rodgers been the best. And he can't. He hasn't won one in like fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? And I want to so, ask you about that. Yeah, because there's been conversation um, about Aaron Rodgers. There's been dialogue because the word is that Brady's coming back for the same. 20 to 25 million dollar deal that he's been playing on and with that 
will allow the Bucks to be able to re-up a lot of the guys that they have as free agents. If they can, they lost Alex Kappa. They lost yes. Ali Marpet, um to retirement, but they did bring back Ryan Jensen at the center spot. Um, Leonard Fournette, Rob Gronkowski, two high-profile free agents on the offense as well. Do you feel like – do you look at Aaron Rodgers now – and do you feel like he's been a little the, – the, the word is selfish that people have brought up when it comes to the contract. And we talked about it a little bit when Rodgers signed his deal. But now when you look at Brady, does this illuminate the, the Rodgers' contract and him being the highest paid player ever reported? Yeah. Does that make him look worse now? So yeah, so I, I got to be – I, I want to be – Brady strong. doesn't need the – I mean, like, yeah. he doesn't need the money, but he's worth – he's worth as much as Rodgers. Of course. Yeah. I want to make sure I'm fair in this assessment. I know, you know, Aaron has been very difficult to root for uh, this past year. And I think we he's we've been ha- fairly harsh on him. I think it's been harsh, but it's been fair in terms of our assessment of just how he's carried himself as a person. So I want to make that very clear. But I also want to make sure I get I'm fair when I say this. I, I, I kind of said it a couple weeks ago when we talked about it. It might have been last week. I'm not sure when we ever we talked about it. Yeah, it was last week when we talked about it. Yeah. But to me, Aaron I don't wanna vic- I don't wanna demonize Aaron Rodgers because he wanted to be paid what he's worth. I don't yeah. think that's necessarily fair because that's what we all do in society. We you yeah. you are worth something, um, you wanna be paid the most for it. And Aaron Rodgers is Probably the best quarterback. I mean, him and Mahomes probably one and two. Uh, best quarterback, you know, in the NFL. So he should be paid accordingly, you know, just in terms of how that works. I do, I, I, selfish is harsh, but I do feel like it's not unfair to say that winning a Super Bowl and having the best roster around him clearly isn't his highest priority. And when we say that, that needs to come. I, I don't think that we, in saying that, I don't even really make that to be some kind of crazy critique of him. Like, I told, I called him the Carmelo Anthony of the NFL. That's kind of how, I, I love Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> but that's, it. facts are facts. Like, you can love somebody. Again, you know how I am. I'm not into this stan culture. You can love somebody and still say, hey, this is something about them that is what it is. It's the, it might not even be a critique. It's just a fact. And Carmelo Anthony, very oftentimes in his career, took the highest dollar as opposed to maybe doing the thing that would have made put him in the best position to win a championship or be a contender for a longer period of time. He didn't, a lot of his front offices didn't give him any help, but he didn't help himself. With Aaron Rodgers, any talk we've had in the past about how, oh, why didn't they draft the receiver in the first round? Why didn't they keep this guy? Why didn't they keep that guy? All that stuff I thought was fair, and I still think, it's fair to even go back and say those were mistakes that the Packers made when they made those moves. But that day is over. There's There could be no dialogue about why didn't the Packers do this to help Aaron Rodgers. Because now Aaron Rodgers has decided in terms, of, in terms of putting himself in the best position to win football games, he has decided that, that is not the most important thing to him. The most important thing to him was getting paid the most. He wanted to get paid the most. And that means that for a team that's severely over the cap, that they're going to have to make very difficult decisions. It means that his boy, Devontae Adams, is sitting there on a franchise tag 
He's probably King, I'm not gonna play. He's probably living. Christian Christian Kirk just got eighty million. Christian Kirk, and I'm not dissing Christian Kirk. He's a decent player, but Christian Kirk just got eighty million, like seventy is like guaranteed, like, and he's sitting there playing on a franchise tag, and that's supposed to be your boy. That's supposed to be your your Jordan to your Pippen, and all these other guys are about to get cut by the Packers or take significant pay cuts from the Packers. Can't be very happy with what's going to happen to them moving forward now that Aaron's got this deal. They're probably happy for Aaron. They seem to all love him as a leader. I'm not even talking about him as a team or anything like that. Whenever I've dissed Aaron, I've never talked about that with him because I've never seen it besides a couple of few people who say some stuff every now and then. But I think that he's a very good leader on that team, and I think that those teammates, his teammates love him. But for their own personal situations, they can't feel good about how they feel in Green Bay right now. So I think, that that, I think that that's a fair way to assess it. I don't think it makes them selfish. I think it makes them just any other athlete. So I don't want to put keep more pressure on him or more things on him. But when we talk about, I think it's, I think the only thing that makes it slightly different with him is because he's no winning MVPs, being the highest paid, putting up stats. Like those things don't matter anymore. Now it's all about winning championships. So when you make this, this decision to get paid the most at this stage in your career, when really the most, the only thing we care about the most right now is you winning championships. He's gonna have to. He's gonna have to live with that. He's gonna have to live with people saying, "Yo, man, like you didn't get it done." And there's no excuse about, "Well, I didn't have enough help." You didn't give them any opportunity to help you with how you moved when your contract came up. Your contract didn't even come up, by the way. It, you just wanted an extension. You wanted to re. You wanted to restructure. Yeah. So you made them tore up, tore up, tear up your regular deal, the deal that you had, to give you this crazy massive deal. Which you've earned, but comes with consequences. So that's how I look at it. I don't think that he should be vilified, but if I was a Packers fan, maybe I'd feel maybe a little more harshly. But but no, I mean, look, we that's the one thing you can never say about Brady. Like, and that's why Brady is like he's like a he's like a scientist, man. Like the guy's like you know, like he's a wizard. Like he knows And I don't every hear... every move Tom Brady makes, Kendall, is all about winning a Super Bowl. What he eats, what he you know, how he gets to the stadium, how he sleeps, how he prepares, including how much money he takes. Like, he takes yeah. a certain amount of money, and and that all is, is considered when it comes to saying, how can I win a Super Bowl next year? And that's I what makes him special. Rodgers is I, not Brady, and very few people are. So I don't want to hold him to that standard, but it is what it is. I, I don't want to hear, oh, well, his wife makes more than him, so... He can he can afford to do that. Tom Brady has probably cost himself. I don't know. We're saying, just say, the last ten years he's cost himself what ten million a year. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say I would say like he's cost about hundred million. I think that's fair. At least about at least a hundred million. I think yeah. is a safe estimation. Yeah, I mean, if not taxes, more than that, yeah. that's a that's a very that's a very light estimation of how much he's cost himself over his career. Hundred million dollars is a lot of money for almost anybody. Particularly any athlete, so he is—he is cost himself one hundred million dollars in this pursuit. And if we're gonna keep it a buck when we talk about lifestyle. Okay, yes, his wife is very wealthy, and we all understand that. And if you watch that Tuck Rule documentary, and you see the house he's living in—that's not an NFL player house. It's a—that's a mogul house, and you—you you understand why he's able to live in a house like that. However. Aaron Rodgers has been single his entire life. He doesn't have kids for, well, as far as we know. He doesn't have, he's had significant others, but he's never had a wife. Right. As we know. 
So there's living expenses and cost expenses expenses that come with family lifestyle that Rogers has never had to deal with. So when we talk about money being stretched, we need to keep that in consideration too. Again, I'm not here to bash Aaron at all. I'm trying to be very fair. But yeah, I don't think that you could just run to, oh, well, Aaron needs to get the most money because he, he doesn't have a, a you know, a, like a billionaire wife. It's like, okay, but I mean, Aaron has lived by himself most of his career. And he's had significant, and by the way, his significant all others his, all very right. doing very well for themselves. We're talking about celebrities, talking about star athletes. You know, if you, I, I consider NASCAR people athletes, so Dan Patrick athlete. Like, <laughs> I agree. Like, he, he's, and, and very wealthy people in their industries too. Yeah. Like, like you know, like Danica Patrick is, you know, she's, she's a high paid, she's a high paid race Top car five. driver. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not a, oh, I'm, you know, dating somebody who's like, you know, on, on, on the league minimum. The NASCAR minimum. Right. She, she's not, you know, she's not on some NASCAR friendly deal. So he's not even married to these people. And the people he's with are running in very, very nice circles. You see the vacations he's on with Shalane Woodley. Don't That's not regular people vacations. And he can do that kind of stuff because he's with someone else that got their own bag. So I don't want to, I don't, like, it's just, there's no merit to, like, giving Aaron Rodgers an out for that. It'd be different. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, I, I my high school sweetheart. Oh, my, you know, my, uh, you know, I met a bartender. Like, okay, that's different. That's that is different. That's not the people he's been with. Well, at least not the people he's showing around. And, and I think, I think Brady, ultimately comes down to, and you see, it's beyond. Because I look, I commend Rogers for getting what he's worth, but we all, we have to understand that he is in a sport. It goes beyond really sports, and anything. If if you have a team that you're working with in any job and let's say you're uh, just a cog, let's say you're the manager or whatever, you can be a coach and you're, you're, you're filling out your staff. If you decide to take 80%, 90% of the resources in your contract and leave the other 10% for the rest of your team, you know you're not going to have as, as talented of a pool of people as you may have or as, as attractive of a pool of people as you may have uh, wanted or may have been able to get with a with a higher uh, salary pool. Of course. And so you have to understand at at at, uh, at USC with Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley got paid great, but he also made sure that I would assume with all the assistance that he was able to bring in, I would assume USC is giving a really nice assistant pool as well. Yeah, look at Mario and, Cristobal at University. Yeah, of Miami. Mario Cristobal in Miami getting paid yeah. well. Yeah, you could have got they're, another they're hiring, they're hiring guys, guys who had, they're hiring guys who got gold jackets. You know that they're making sure yeah. they've got money to give away to the system. He could have got an extra three million. By the, by the, by the he could have got an extra five million from Miami. Right. But he said, "No, let's let's put that five million aside to fill out my staff and other things that can help us." And now again, if Mario Cristobal would have took the other five or took three of that five and said, "Yeah, we well, take two. We don't need five million for assistant coaches." Yeah, maybe not. But if you want to win, <laughs> and like may, I said, my thing is your best chance to win. Yeah, and my thing is with A Rod, like it's all good. That's the decision you want to make. That you want all the money, but it's just for for where you again where you are in your career. Understand that it's gonna kind of run counterintuitive to what anybody. He's the one that cares so much about what everybody thinks about him. What we all think about him right now is you're a very talented guy that caught lightning in a bottle once to win a championship. And we don't really know how great you really are. That's what we all, that's what many of us think of you. 
And in order to quell those thoughts, you'd have to ensure that you could get another Super Bowl title. That's the best way to change those minds. And he cares a lot about what again, what people think about him. And I don't I don't even take that personal. I'm someone who thinks I care about what people think about me. I'm kind of like Aaron Rodgers in that sense. So I, I don't really think I feel like it, because of that, I actually kind of identify with how he feels. But when you do this, just know, okay, well, the thing that you complain the most about, well, you don't seem to really be moving in a way that's going to put you in the best position to do that. Now, if you're so confident in your ability that you say, yo, put me, you, know, you, could, you could give me the Wisconsin Badgers and I'll take this team to a championship, then God bless you. Go out there and do it. Go ball out. Prove us all wrong, but real at this quick. Point in time, it's hard to it's hard to really give you shoot you any bail. But but any, I, again, but I don't think again as I said before, I don't think you should be vilified because Tom Brady, who was the ultimate winner, decided, no, nah, that means I got to lose money to win more championships. I'll do it because he's been right. He's been proven right any, every time he's done it. Real quick, any reaction to the uh, Steelers making Trubisky the guy next season? Mitchell Trubisky. Are you sure he's the guy next season because of the signing? That is the message. Word. That's been that's the messaging. the messaging coming out of Pittsburgh is that uh, he he's going to be the starter replacing Ben Roethlisberger. Um, I'm I sure think, this is not the end, right. but uh, you know, I, I feel my, like I, I feel like there's been I feel like there's been I, I I don't know I feel like there's been kind of a weird kind of what's the word I'm looking for kind of rewriting of Trubisky's history with the Chicago Bears. You're I, saying I, that not as bad as, as, as the memes and the jokes? No, I'm going the opposite way. I feel oh, like you're recently, a lot of people have been pushing the line <laughs> that he actually wasn't that bad. And yeah. here's, here's what, but, but to continue on that note, though, I'm glad you brought that up. I've kind of always felt that with Trubisky, it's been very much a, he's not as bad as the his haters think he is, and he's not as good as the people who love him think he is i mean to me he's kind of like i think i think if if you're signing Trubisky at this point you know he's 28 years old i think you're hoping he's like ryan Tannehill. i think you're hoping that he's a guy that all right we give him because he's shown that when he's given the best situation he can win some football games he he has shown that yeah and 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 ryan Tannehill has shown that when he's given the best situation he can win football games. Now, anything less than the best, you're gonna see pedestrian play. He's not. It's not. He doesn't give you catastrophic play. He's not a guy who's gonna turn the ball over a million times. He's not. He's not. A, not that kind of player. But you're just not gonna really go anywhere. So in terms of the excitement level for it and how I feel about it, it's like the Steelers have a decent situation. So I guess if this is the way they want to go, that's fine. It just. It just seems very uninspired to me. Like, I think the Steelers, with one or two moves, could see themselves as a true Super Bowl contender if they had a quarterback the caliber of, like, Matt Stafford, like when the Rams did last year. So, to me, like, I saw what the Rams did last year, and it was bold, and it was a big risk, but, man, did it pay off. That's the, okay, I think the Steelers are kind of in a similar position. When you look at their roster, you look at the, the weapons that they have, you look at um, the, the defense that, you know, maybe didn't play as great last year, but they're still great players on the defense. And they say, we're going to go with Mitch Trubisky after I watched Ben Roethlisberger this year. I'm like, you already made the playoffs from our first-round exit with Ben Roethlisberger. Like, what, like, do I see this trade and think that, oh, now the, the, the ceiling for the Steelers is way higher? I don't think so. 
I don't know. I, I don't look at this and say as bad as in, in as cooked as Ben Roethlisberger was. I don't look at adding Mr. Bisky and changing him and making him the starting quarterback and think, oh, well, the ceiling for the Steelers <laughs> just went way higher. I, I don't see that. Like, does that mean they could win maybe one game? Maybe they win the when they maybe they win the wild card game and then they lose in the next round. Maybe I don't I don't see how they're competing with with at least three of them teams in AFC West. I don't see how this makes them better than the Buffalo Bills. I don't know if they're better than the Tennessee Titans. So you, what does this do? You and me, both you and me didn't really love Trubisky coming out of college. So the idea that he was the number two pick in the draft is irrelevant. You know, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times you look at a guy and you're like, look, I mean, he's the number two pick in the draft. So, you know, clearly he has a lot of upside. But I don't really, he doesn't really, that, that number two pick was always a reason. He never, he never moved the needle for either of us. Right. So and we're and you got and you guys got to remember, Kendall and I are both people who follow ACC football very closely. Yes, like like this is not a oh we just went after his career and then just watched a bunch of film and that matters, but yes. we're, we're like we are some people who lived with Mr. Trubisky's college Mr. Trubisky's college career, yeah, and saw him go into like me and Kendall talking to me and like you know what if Trubisky got picked in the second round that might be a pretty decent pick he's got some game. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, starting in August, they're like, "Yo, Trubisky might be a top two pick," and we're like, "What?" Like that was yeah. the con- that was the conversation Kendall and I were having, as people live reacting, having watched Mitchell Trubisky's entire career in North Carolina. So it was yeah. not we're not people helicoptering in, not knowing what this guy's about. We know Trubisky fairly well. So like I said, I look at him and say, best case scenario, he's like Ryan Tannehill in the Titans, which is not that bad. Like that's not that bad, but. How many wins has he to won? Me, How many playoff games has Ryan Tannehill won? When, when this, two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, when this when this deal is is made, to me, it, it strikes me as they are. I am supremely confident that they're going to draft a quarterback. The only reason I wouldn't, the only reason that, that's I wouldn't why go, that's why I say I don't know if he's the guy next year because I think he'll that, be the guy next year. Uh, what if he gets beat out in camp? And that's possible. That's possible. Because I, 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 I think he's totally I think he's capable of being beat out by a rookie. I think they think he's Garoppolo to the rookie trailer. The rookie is likely Malik Willis if he's available. Um, I wouldn't rule out you drafting Pickett as well, even though Pickett's older. Not that much younger than Trubisky in theory. But um, but you could still sell me on uh, you know having those guys duke it out. Yeah. I mean, Trubisky but, would be 28 in training camp. I guess Pickett would be, what, 24? Yeah, exactly. You know. Not, not not terribly, you know, not terribly younger than Trubisky. But regardless, um, what I'll what I will say is that the only reason why I wouldn't go to like a one hundred percent chance they draft quarterback is because they do have Mason Rudolph, they do have Dwayne Haskins, so they could just say we're just gonna have these three guys duke it out with Trubisky being the, you know, the in pole position. But to me, I would assume that you draft Malik Willis. If he's available, and all the all the word coming out of the Senior Bowl was that the Steelers wanting Malik Willis is the worst kept secret in the world uh, this draft season, and it's a little bit of a surprise because obviously the connection with Kenny Pickett makes a lot of sense with the with the with the proximity, but um, but man, you know Willis sitting behind Trubisky for a year or two, I think Trubisky's just good enough to be better than what Andy Dalton was. Where you say to yourself, Andy Dalton, are you kidding me? Why aren't we playing Justin Fields? And I also think Willis or Pickett is not Justin Fields in terms of the reputation. I but agree he, with both of those assessments. The assumption is that we could probably get away with 
you know, more of a Garoppolo Lance kind of deal than a, a Dalton Fields where the but they got Trubisky's got to play well because if he doesn't, then it will be Dalton Fields. That's really that the that's really the crux of the situation. Yeah, I I think that that's a fair assessment. Trubisky again, not as bad as his heritage will say, not as good as his fans will say. He's somewhere there in the middle. For me, like I said, doesn't move the needle for me that much. I feel like the Steelers, I feel like, I guess what bothers me is I feel like the Steelers' window to potentially compete for a championship, to me, is like now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just not it's a not, swing. It's, it's not like, it's not oh, this swing. is like, we'll, we'll be there in four years. Like, if that was the case, I would be fine with this. I'd say, okay, they're a good team, but like taking a real swing would be kind of a major risk. So... I can understand you saying let's get a guy who can be decent for us, and then we have a young quarterback that we draft. Like, watch, maybe we draft somebody next year. Like I don't football team yeah. going after Wentz, which is a much bigger swing than this was. But going after Wentz, like if they would have went after Trubisky, I would have been like, whatever, like it's fine. Yes, you know? same. Yeah, they're not winning anything, no matter who the quarterback is. Unless yeah, they had, they got a decent roster that with somebody competent, could they find themselves with nine wins next year and fighting for a playoff spot? Definitely. You know yes. what I'm saying? We, nobody's looking at them saying, oh, if they get Aaron Rodgers, they're going to the Super Bowl. Nobody thinks that. <laughs> like, no. they suck. You know, like, they're, like they're, they're just, I mean, and I say suck, you know, like, again, they're a decent. Middle of the road. Some, and middle of the road, decent roster, a couple of nice pieces, but far away from winning a championship. Again, I look at the Steelers and I say, this is a team that if they got decent enough pieces, you know, they, they, they've, they've had some misses in the draft. They've had some, you know, bad signs. They, they, they haven't been perfect. But they still got a lot of talent on the roster. So for me, I look at them and I say, okay, if they get a guy like an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson like that, you say, okay, well, next year now, Steelers, we back, baby. You know, you got uh, you know, Claypool, you got you know, Juju, you got Deontay Johnson, uh, Fry Muth, you, you know, the defense. We know Cam Hayward's going to be, a, you know, potentially a gold jacket guy. TJ Watt, maybe the best pass rusher in college, you know, in the NFL. Minka Fitzpatrick, they got ballers. You know what I'm saying? They got ballers. They got real players. So if they decided I'm gonna get a guy who I think can win me a Super Bowl next year, I'm Man. like, all right, let's get it. You tell me you, you get Mitchell Trubisky, I'm like a swing. You know, this would have been obviously would have been controversial, but I think about Colin Kaepernick. You know, right. and I know a lot of people's brains probably went to Deshaun Watson, but I'm going in another direction. But I think I, I think Colin Kaepernick, you know. Obviously, for a lot of reasons that just not realistic in terms of guessing what would have happened, but um, that would have been a guy. If you're telling me, like, look, we're trying to do something brash, and we're not trying to go for just the Jimmy Garoppolo and you know Kirk Cousins, Carson Wentz, the guy that you know what you're gonna get. We're trying to get the most accomplished. We're we're trying to sign the most accomplished free agent quarterback with the highest yes. ceiling. You know, like that was what that's still Carolina. That, yeah, that's that's what Carolina did signing Cam last year off the scrap heap. Yeah. And it doesn't, and it it doesn't mean those guys aren't cooked. Like, it, Kaepernick could be cooked. But it's just – Yeah, it may But you know, work. like, hey, the, the up – I see Kaepernick take a team to the Super Bowl. Best case scenario, he still wind up being a top 15 quarterback. And we didn't even know it. Cause he right, yeah, I mean, yeah, he hasn't taken hits. We don't know We don't know anything. <laughs> like, like, I, I've seen Jurisky play fairly recently. Yeah. So, like, that's the kind of swing that – a team like Pittsburgh would have been, it would have been fascinating, you know, where, like you say, if you don't want to take the Watson route, you don't want to give up all the assets that that would take, 
and you want to find a guy who's on the scrap heap, well, that's the guy on the scrap heap that would have that would have created buzz. But we'll we'll see. I mean, they have the worst quarterback in the division, so that's that's a, mm-hmm. that's never a good uh, it's never a good superlative for a team. Yeah, trial. I mean that's that's a great way to look at that. You know, I didn't even think about it something some, some way, and I didn't look at it as simple as that. But and I, Maybe, I'm not. I'm not no, I, last year is probably worth. I was gonna say I, I'm not crazy about Baker Mayfield. I, I think if I he's think Cleveland should move on. But I, I can't say for sure that Trubisky's better than him. I cannot say that. Yeah, There's if no he's way. healthy, he's, I'm feel confident saying Baker's probably better than Trubisky. If, he, if we get to Baker last year, then I feel confident in the other direction because he was a bottom five quarterback in the league for most of last season. But yeah, I mean, it's me. Like what we saw from Trubisky the last two seasons to me was. Very similar to what Baker was last last year, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So exactly. now second year Trubisky is better, way better than Baker was last year. But I think Baker was better than second year Trubisky the year before that. So it's right. you know it's to me it's like a, almost a wash. So they definitely and got at least two guys better than the other them, so. guys are all pro level quarterbacks. All right, yeah, those guys are light years better than both we're scrapping for third. Who's third? Right. So you know I'm not in a great position. You know, and I don't know if I got the third best. You know, I got a very good roster, but you know, I'm fighting. What? Where's my roster right ranking that division? Yes. You know, it's very good, but the quarterback is 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 heavily weighted. It heavily it tips the scales one way or the other. If you tell me I got a great quarterback and got this roster, you probably say I might got the best roster in the division. So if I got Mitchell Trubisky, again, am I now fighting for third best roster? Like <laughs> that's kind of where you're kind of looking at, which is where Pittsburgh was last year. They were the third best team in the division. So, you know, I think they finished second technically, but. Lamar got hurt. I think we think Buffalo, Baltimore healthy is better than them. Like, I don't know. It's a. Uh, it was not inspiring. I understood it. I just don't think there's a lot of high upside in the Trubisky situation. Let's talk college hoops for the rest of the way, Kendall. So, March Madness is here. We did an hour and forty minutes talking March Madness, which was thrilling on our YouTube channel. You guys should check it out. New generation. Excuse me, New Generation Media is where you can find that live stream. We talked a bunch, Kendall. I want to give you somewhat of a little bit of a challenge here. Give me one major takeaway from the selections and from the brackets now that you've seen them. And maybe even the you know the the times and places where these games are being played, because now we all we know all that information now. Give me one thing that you did not say yesterday that you want to get across to the people today talking about. This tournament. Um, interesting. One thing I didn't say yesterday that I that, that I think is relevant. Um, <laughs> I mean, we talked about it all fair, but uh, the time of those Portland games is going to be very interesting. I know that's a weird place to start, but mm-hmm. um, the Portland region regional. Uh, <laughs> I know it's Memphis, which is also relevant to me, but they, they, it's going to be a local 145, 10:45 start for a for a major college basketball game. So that that'll be very interesting to yes. see how that that if that affects uh, any of these teams. But what what to me, I think that you think about the teams that are most vulnerable uh, in the first round, mm-hmm. and look, I mean, Providence is a is a is a it's a popular pick right now to get clipped. I don't know. I I never like going as far. I don't like. I never like the underdog that becomes a favorite. Yeah, the it, run the runaway underdog is a scary 
is a scary. It's a scary proposition. Typically, you think they're hard to predict. Yeah. <laughs> Very rarely is it the team we expect. Yeah. But that is where South Dakota is right now. They're running away. Yes. They they're on paper the most likely thirteen plus seed to get a win. Um. And all the metrics suggest it. So I look. That's the one that I'd feel best about if you're talking about upsets. But, um. I I thought the seeding was pretty fair. Um, from that that we got yesterday, I, there aren't too many controversies. I know people are are up in arms about Tennessee. I know some people are up in arms about Texas A and M not making it. You know, I to me, I think that the committee said was saying is essentially sending the message that yesterday's title, conference title game in the SEC was that was a playing game. <laughs> Texas A and M had to win that game. They wanted to make the tournament. Um, they had to come in with that mentality. They played a tough team. I can't even be mad that oh, they didn't beat Tennessee, so they don't deserve to make the tournament. Um, but I think that's the message that they were sending. Um, if they're really upset, and look, the, honestly, they weren't They weren't the, even the last team left out, or the first team out. It was really it was Dayton uh, who really got screwed over after losing to Richmond in the A-10 semifinal and then not making, and then Richmond then beating Davidson to get the last bid, right. knocking them out of the tournament. Yeah, that's I mean, brutal. just two brutal losses. And it's so fascinating because Dayton, again, like I said last night, was a team that when I looked at resumes going into Selection Sunday, kind of looked at their roster. They got, you know, their their center is like a, was a top 30 recruit. Like, they got a good team. And yeah. I was like, this is a good team. Like, man, if they don't make it, it's going to be kind of unfortunate and, like, it's probably likely. Now I realize, wow, they, it was actually likely they were going to make it. <laughs> they, yeah, and they, and they controlled their own destiny, and they could not get it done. It's, and then, and then the other team, uh, Richmond, had to go out and beat a very good Davidson team. Yeah, and they went and they got it done. So it's, it's yeah, the epitome of brutality. Yeah, two massive shout ups. Out to, shout out to John Rothstein. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean. To, to, so just I, I don't know where you want to start what superlatives I know you asked what's the one thing we didn't yeah. say um what I'll ask is is what is what's the team let's say let's say what's the what's the the one seed that you feel most concerned about moving far in the tournament I'm very glad you asked this question honestly honestly because one thing I wanted to kind of zero in is on the one seed second round potential matchup because I don't think we people really, forget about it. Yeah, and I, it's the one that people really forget because eight and nine seeds are usually just kind of very underwhelming. They're usually like power yeah. teams who kind of had middling seasons or disappointing seasons or like seasons that like really surprise people. Like nobody thought they'd be that good, but like nobody really thinks they could go far. So, but we see a lot of one, eight, one, nine upsets. Like that happens. Just and last year. Yeah. The NCAA has quite this sense of humor that we've seen, you know, the committee. Seeing Loyola Chicago paired up against Illinois in yeah. the second round in a one-eight matchup, and Loyola Chicago taking out the in-state, you know, big school, the state school, yeah, um, in what was a, a a an excellent basketball game. We saw a similar matchup years ago between Wichita State and Kansas, yes, Wichita taking taking out uh, the big-time state school. It, you know, it's not. It's not as rare of an occurrence as you would expect. No. Um, didn't Kentucky beat Wichita? When Kentucky Wichita beat Wichita as a one. Gonzaga lost to Wichita as a one. 
and you know, and Wichita I think was a nine. Like this is that 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 game is very tough. Like and it's it's one to keep an eye on. You know, it's it's again it's so hard. A lot of people kind of like just move past it. They're like ah, oh, you know, again, yeah, put it all, all those four teams are just in very not inspiring. Like you you're gonna get kind of uh, sentimental about the the double digit seeds. You want to see them go far. You may be more inclined to move those teams ahead. I think those eight nine seeds don't get a lot of respect. So I wanted to start there because I think yesterday, think doing more kind of thinking about it, doing more research, kind of mulling it over. I think Baylor may be in a, a fist fight against North Carolina if they have to play them. North Carolina has size. North Carolina is not at all going to be intimidated by seeing, you know, Baylor across their chest. Like, that's not going to do anything for them at all. Uh, anything may make, make it the more confidence. And North Carolina has, a we've seen this year, a very high ceiling for when they're playing well. And right now, they're playing pretty well. They had a pretty yes. good run in the ACC tournament. They lost to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is a is playing excellent, you know, and they were on a they were playing for their lives. So you know, I I, I kind of put that one a little bit aside. And their team runs very hot and cold. Like you don't know where you're gonna get from Caleb Love. He's a very erratic player. You don't know where you get from R.J. Davies. He's a very erratic player. But all it takes for those guys is to have a great night. And those guys are, they play with supreme confidence. And yeah, either Armando one of those guys. is is a, is a beast on the backboard. And Brady Manick is really, really played well. I mean, Duke fans know how well he's played um, yes. of late. He's a veteran player. He's played into a lot of tournament games at this point in his career. I don't think ba- – that, that 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 matchup scares me a little bit for Baylor because Baylor, I think, they're very, very talented. They're very deep. But what, what I've said about Baylor all season is what I kind of continue to feel is when the chips get down – and these games get close and then get tough. Who is the guy that they go to and say, just get me a bucket or give me multiple buckets to get me out of this jam? Because in March Madness, you're just going to need that. You're going to be the more talented team against some against some of these teams, and you're going to face a squad that's just playing out of their mind. And you just need somebody to say, yo, like make a play and get me to the next round. And for Baylor, Flagler, I, I think he probably points to say he, he's probably the guy. But if I'm North Carolina, I feel like yo, I got, I got, I got, I got dogs too. I got guys that I feel yeah, like Kim I can Joe match with somebody like that. Another, yeah, Kinjo as fire. well. But again, a Kinjo to me is almost as erratic as 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 Caleb Love. Yeah. So now he's on a better team, better system. So you know they they play a lot better. But I'm looking at that these one eight matches because there's gonna be. I feel like there's gonna be somebody because usually it feels like there's somebody every year that does not get past that eight nine. Everybody's shocked. You're like, how did this happen? I'm trying to say, okay, who's that team? I hate to pick on Baylor. They're the fourth one seed, but they've had a lot of injuries. They haven't been whole. They got beat up in a very difficult Big 12 conference. They won it, but it was it was just it was it was just hell. got picked off by Oklahoma. Yeah, they didn't just lost feel. to Oklahoma. Like, like it, that was that was a hellacious that was a hellacious season that Baylor had to go through, and the fact that they still got number one is a testament to their greatness as a program. But sometimes those kind of those scars kind of amount to a lot, and as I sit here today, if North Carolina gets past Marquette, which is no automatic thing, no. But if they get past Marquette, I think that that's must see TV. That Baylor North Carolina. I think Marquette. Upset. We know Shaka Smart. Also, 
He seems to coach better in these kind of moments. Seems to coach better yeah. when people are, are doubting them. People are kind I think of, all of us thought like Marquette wasn't going to make tournament this year. And no, no. And they had a, had a pretty decent run in the Big East this year. Yes, yes. I mean, it felt like a rebuild for Marquette. Um, but he's retooled with a really good roster. Um, you know, I they they are – look, North Carolina's got more talent. They should be able to beat Marquette. But you, yes. as you mentioned, they also have more talent than Virginia Tech. You know, they, they had more talent than a lot of the teams that they faced this season, and it hasn't always translated. So that, no. that's the key, is which version of North Carolina shows up. Um, I, it, it'll, look, that'll be, that'll be interesting. Um, I, I, you know, this is also similar where I look at Baylor and I'm like, everyone's telling them, everyone's saying Baylor's the one that's going to get clipped. Right. Yeah. Just, just, just wait for it. And I, yeah, I wonder if and we've seen that happen in, in that team, then show, show themselves, right. you know, but again, a lot of times it's, it's the ones you don't expect. You know, I mean, like Wichita people were definitely saying, "Oh, the Kentucky team can beat Wichita," and they did. Um, but like, there, there are there are times where you don't where you don't expect it, as we saw last year with Loyola and and uh, in Illinois. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. I really think that a, a one nine matchup between Memphis and Gonzaga could be a really good basketball game. Um, Gonzaga is not necessarily the matchup that I think Memphis wanted to play. Um I think they would have much rather seen Baylor. Um you know, I but the I think the thing that Memphis what what makes them an interesting team is that for one, obviously this is not a team that is playing at the level of a normal nine seed. Uh you could argue, well they're playing the American conference, so maybe that's why they've played better basketball. And that that's a fair that's a fair point. Um, really, it depends on how you feel about Houston. Because if you feel like Houston is one of the best, you know, teams in the country and they are a true five seed, then Memphis beating them twice, both on the road and at home, uh, shellacking them really <laughs> twice, yeah. should send the message that this is not a normal, this is not a normal nine seed um, type of team, particularly when. Jalen Duren and DeAndre Williams in the front court play well. That's really the question with this Memphis team. If they play really well, they can compete with almost anybody. Whether or not they win is another conversation. Um, don't always play well. They didn't play well against Houston. They really didn't play well against SMU in the conference championship game, uh, in the conference tournament, rather, uh, but were able to skate by um, due to foul trouble. I think the key in that matchup, if they were to get by Boise State, uh, is... You really have to. You really need those bigs to stay out of foul trouble. If those guys can't stay on the court, it could be a wrap. That's the supposed advantage that Memphis would have. It's not necessarily that those guys are better than Drew Timmy and Jet Holmgren, who are, you know, all-American kind of players, but mm-hmm. that they present a physicality that may be difficult for those guys to handle. Um, it will be interesting to see what that matchup would look like. Memphis, on the flip side, because obviously, look, Gonzaga would be the best team Memphis has faced, obviously, all season, um, but particularly in months. But, I, you know, I, you would, you could also argue that Memphis would be the toughest team Gonzaga has faced in months as well. And so, I do not that, think you can I, argue that. They play St. Mary's. I don't think you can argue that. 
that 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 Memphis is isn't a better. Mary's? No, I don't think they're better than Saint Mary's. The way they're playing right now, the way Saint Mary's is playing right now, Saint Mary's is, they got a five seed for a reason. I don't think you can say that Saint Mary that, that it's arguable that Memphis is better than Saint Mary's. You don't even think it's arguable. Not no. that, not that you will make the case that Saint Mary's is better. I, I mean, mean they, was, they are look, they are several seed lines ahead of Memphis. Several. I mean, look, and, the full and they. And like they earned, right? But they, like they, they had a better season. But we also have to remember this Memphis team started out nine and eight, which was pathetic. Yeah, they, yeah, they were yeah. out. I mean, we had a phone conversation where we were talking about there's no chance this team's gonna make the NCAA tournament. Even if I, I kept throwing out the superlative, look, I mean, you know, this team if they go on and win most of their games, they probably could sneak in. But why am I to believe that they're gonna do that? You know. <laughs> And they ended up doing it somehow. I, I, I was shocked. I'm shocked. I'm still shocked. And really, the, the 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 benchmark where we've seen the team turn around is when Imani Bates was out of the equation. I'm not really sure what the what the common denominator is, or what the reasoning for that common denominator is. But for whatever reason, the team has played a lot better since he's left the team. It's just hard. It's just hard for me, I guess, to. Look at St. Mary's and see that they beat Gonzaga and they beat the number one team in the country and and pretty, it was a wire to wire win. You know they might not win by yeah, thirty, yeah. but they it was a dominant yeah. performance, and yeah. they beat the number one team in the country, and say that Memphis is better than them. I can't say that. I I think could you say that Memphis is talented and Memphis can give Gonzaga a game? You like that's, that's arguable. In, I, I just think about I would argue that, that this Memphis is that Memphis Gonzaga is not a play team as good as Memphis. Gonzaga lost to a team in the last few months. Like they lost to somebody. So if you come to this game looking at Gonzaga as considerable favorites, unless Memphis shellacks Gonzaga, I can't say for sure, oh, this is the best team they've played for sure. I don't I can't say that. Gonzaga lost to somebody. It's the only team they lost to is in the tournament. And also I mean you could lose played. to a team that's worse than you. Right, but that team also then you gotta say gonna worse that they're also worse than some other team that I don't know what they're gonna do with Gonzaga. They haven't played yet. You're saying go into but the game. That's beating the best a team on a neutral played. site versus, you know, you're at home against a team that's won a million games in a row, raucous environment. You know, look, they caught them. They caught them on a good night, and I'm not saying they couldn't do it again. But we just saw them St. Mary's last week on a neutral site, and St. Mary's played them pretty well, but it's still a double. It's loss. tough. You know, still ended up being a double digit loss. Yeah. And hey, look, maybe that sh- maybe that speaks to the to the dominance of Gonzaga, but you know, look, I'm not the only pundit, you know, that has made the 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 statement that a lot of metrics since February, since Imani Bates left the team, consider Memphis. No, Memphis, look, Memphis is well, Memphis has played very good ball. I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying, you know, to say that that is the best team Gonzaga's played in months when again someone in their conference they played three times. I just think that, that there are a lot of college like basketball people that would that would make the case that Memphis is better than, regardless of seed, because we have to understand that we're not they're not the seeding. The NCAA considers a loss in November. The committee considers a loss in November the same as a loss in March or a loss in February, and so. No, I got you. But I mean, the but I mean, that the, the, but, right? But St. Mary's beat St. Mary. I don't want to labor on this, but St. Mary's beat Gonzaga like three weeks ago. Like, it was not. I'm not talking um, about. It's, it's not a about, win in in like. I'm November. talking about the Memphis team that we saw get shellacked by Iowa State. 
I mean, yeah, if we're talking about that team or the team that lost to Murray State, who was a seventh seed, to be fair. But the team that lost to Murray State and was embarrassed, you know, and, and looked like they were dead in the water, they lost to Georgia. That team, yes, St. Mary's would have beat that team probably also. But I don't think I think anyone that 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 is is playing playing close attention will see that that team isn't the same as a team that beat Houston twice, right, unless they Houston stinks, you not, know, which not, not some people do. And I think that that's the that's really the conversation is not necessarily about as a whole. Yeah, St. Mary's had a better season, and the West Coast Conference. I don't know where Memphis would have finished, but I think the point is that from a talent perspective, even beyond who's the better team. This is certainly the most talented team, and I think no one would debate that that Memphis, that Gonzaga has seen since probably Duke. That and that's that's, that's that, a long that's time. More fair. And then and and then when you think about the the team that gave them the most trouble this season, you may, maybe argue Alabama. Well, you say since Duke. I mean, they play Texas Tech too. I, I don't. I don't. And Alabama. Oh yeah, Memphis is more talented than Texas Tech. And Alabama. I know you guys beat Alabama, but you got more time. And that's than the other thing that I think is interesting when you talk about that matchup, because that's the only two common. That's the only common opponent between a Duke team, between a Gonzaga team and a Memphis team. Mm-hmm. And, and Memphis shellacked Alabama. Yeah, it was at home. Yeah, yeah, it was a decisive win. It was a decisive win, and Gonzaga lost to them. So I, I that's why I say that when you're talking about trying to figure out which one of these one seeds is going to be. They we may not see a one nine or one eight upset, but if we do, I would point to and obviously I'm biased. I'm a Memphis fan. Yes, but please, I think that please that please is, emphasize that. By the way, if people were like, "How are we on Memphis for ten minutes?" That needs to be emphasized. <laughs> yes. Oh, EJ, you're also a Gonzaga fan, so right? Gonna, yeah, you're gonna argue it. That Gonzaga is no no trouble. No, I got you on that. Um, nothing. I, I I understand what you're saying. I just feel like Memphis has played great ball. I just know that Gonzaga is, you know, again, he played a St. Mary's team that earned a five seed. Not many people would argue about that five seed and has beaten them. So when you say better team, I, I don't know. You want to say talent? Okay, they got a guy who's going to be a top 10 pick. So that's, that's a St. Mary's doesn't have anybody like that. But talent does always mean better in terms of team. That, that's what, that's, that's the only thing I'm saying when it comes St. to St. Mary's, that, man, discussion. we'll talk about them, but they're, they're, they're a popular pick to get upset by Indiana. If Indiana were to, I mean, yeah, I talked about it. On, I talked yeah, about they it. They get some respect, and we'll talk about whether or not that 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 is if that's fair. But I don't think they get the respect that you are giving them credit for nationally. Well, I don't expect they, that. I, I feel. Well, let me say that I think that people respect the seeding. They don't necessarily respect what they're going to do in the tournament. I don't think anybody's saying, "Oh, this should be a five. They're as good a team as as their seed, right? Which happens. You know, sometimes that does happen, but no, that's why we play the games. We'll see if or not they've earned that that uh that situation. I feel like one of the things I did want to focus on too on this uh topic or this conversation about the tournament is you know I mentioned how you have these one eight one nine matchups that can be you know a surprise in some instances. I, I also kind of want to zero in on some of these middle seeds that you know could maybe go on a very very deep run. Because, you know, you have, you know, last year we had, you know, UCLA as a, as a you know, a double-digit seed, you know, find a way into the final into the final four. And, you know, you have a team between four and 11 or 10 find their way 
making their way to the final four. I'm, I'm trying to identify teams that potentially may be able to go on that kind of run. You know, people love to talk about the top three seasons. They okay, I think these teams can get to the final four. But there are teams, you know, again, outside of that, that I think have to be really considered as could this team get to the final four. I mentioned on the stream last night, Iowa as a five seed. You know, I, I know you don't want to be a five seed because you got some tough, you're going to play a tough mid-major matchup. Richmond just went on a really good run in the A-10 tournament, a very good program. But they got Keegan Murray. He might be the best player uh, in this tournament. So you think you definitely look at them. Uh, you look at UConn. I think UConn is su- supremely underrated. I think they've had a, a really good season led by led by Dan Hurley, and I just love their guard play. You know, uh, you know Cole is just like the ultimate ultimate college basketball point guard to me. Just steady. Uh, you know, you know, great way of kind of running the team. Sonogo gives you, uh, you know, just a really dominant inside presence. They got depth. They got shooting. They got athleticism. And they kind of just get the. I can't get the feeling when UConn takes the floor that they just feel like they can compete with anybody. That's the attitude they play with. So, I think if you see them, I, I just don't think they're going to really be much. I don't think they're going to be very uh, intimidated by anybody that they they go up against. So I think UConn is a team to to pay attention to in that regard. I think another team to pay attention to, and we're, this is going very down in terms of talking about seating concerned. I think Loyola, Amer- Loyola Chicago is a team also to keep an eye on because of their previous success. No Porter Moser, you know, does give you some pause because we know obviously how much how great coach he is, but they 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 got a really strong team, man. Um, Lucas Williamson has been through these wars. Braden Norris has been through these wars. They got. They know how to control the pace of the game, and they know how to get you into the style of game that they want you to play. They don't bury you with a lot of three pointers, but they shoot it at a very high clip. And teams that can play that much in the half court and be that efficient can have success and can really get some of these other teams into some very ugly kind of games. And I feel like a second round matchup against Villanova. I think that game is going to be played right in Villanova, excuse me, Loyola Chicago's wheelhouse. You know, Villanova is not the kind of team where they're going to, you know, bury, you know, again, bury you with uh, just like an avalanche of scoring. You know, they've kind of done it more on the defensive end this year. They've, they've, they've relied more on a half court kind of game. So again, the teams that don't run away from you, I like teams like that in terms of potentially getting clipped by a team like a Loyola Chicago who can be comfortable playing in that kind of uh in that kind of game. So I I'm wondering for you, Kendall, are there are there other people and then so much Loyola, I think moving forward, I you know the top half of their bracket, I also feel like, again, you know, Tennessee, that's a game where it's all gonna be by pace. If Tennessee gets the ball gets the court gets the ball up in the open court and it's up and down, then it's good night for Loyola. If that game gets in the half court I feel a lot better about that being more of a fist fight. You know, Colorado State's another really good team that I like. And I think it's, it's on the watch. If they somehow get get up to that point, they're a team that's not, it doesn't got a lot of size. So Loyal is not going to be overmatched <laughs> from a size standpoint. So if we're looking for some of these teams well outside of the top four seeds, 
say, you know, is there anybody here that could, you know, maybe go on in some kind of crazy run and get to the Final Four? I thought those are teams I wanted to identify as uh, as teams that I think, you know, should be considered. I don't know. Are there, are there any teams that you look at outside of the, the typical that you say are sleepers to maybe go on a really big run to the Elite Eight or to the Final Four? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I mean, I, I mentioned it a little bit on, on our – on our on our stream yesterday, but I think I think Davidson uh, has a really good matchup against Duke potentially in the second round matchup, and they got to get past Michigan State, which will be tough. I I I almost wonder if Michigan State will be tougher for them than Duke. Um, I think a matchup with Duke, there are reasons why Duke is tough. You know, can you can they consistently deal with the size of Williams and Bancaro? Um, sure. But Duke just strikes me as a team that I just don't know if they're going to be able to put together six in a row. Um, they, to me, are too Jekyll and Hyde. And I know they've, they haven't been like that all season. But really, it's about the shot making. They need they need Ben Carroll and Griffin to, to, to be electric to win. And they need Wendell Moore and Jeremy Roach and Trevor Kills to hit shots on the perimeter. If all those things don't really come together, it's going to be a close game. You know, they, they don't really run teams out of the building unless they're shooting at a high level and Davidson is not going to get run out of the building with the way they shoot the basketball as well um so I, I you know Davidson's a team that I think could definitely make a run to the sweet 16 and then if they matched up with a Texas Tech or or Alabama, you never really know uh, I think Alabama is also another team you know they've been they fell in sort of under the radar um in this tournament but a matchup against them with them versus Texas Tech uh, could be interesting. You know, from a talent perspective, they got they got better guard play than Texas Tech. I mean, that's not even a question. Mm-hmm. And guard play, we know, is is a is a major factor when it comes to the NCAA tournament. Now, Texas Tech defends at such a high level that Alabama it may not it may not matter. You know, but at the end of the day, and by the way, Alabama does not defend at high level. No, that doesn't, that doesn't help uh, things either. Yeah, it doesn't help. Um, but at the end of the day, if Alabama's hitting shots, it may not really matter. If Jaden Shackford can get off, if Keon Ellis can get off, Javon Quinterly can hit shots, they're going to be a hard team to stop. So, uh, you know, they're, they, they're, those are the teams that, that, that scare me the most when I'm filling out a bracket is when they you feel like that team controls their own destiny. Yeah. And... I don't know if Texas Tech does. Texas Tech, to me, they sort of, and a lot of times teams don't play. It's college basketball. It's not the NBA. So a lot of times teams aren't going to shoot the lights out against them the way they play. But it's a little bit like Virginia. where Virginia never really controlled their own destiny. They just, they played a style brand of basketball that was just hard to play against. And if you weren't ready for it and you weren't hitting shots, you weren't hitting tough shots, you weren't going to, you're not going to beat them. But if you are, you get comfortable. They're very beatable, um, and that that's that's what that's that's what worries me about Texas Tech a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, look, you mentioned Iowa as a team that could go far. Uh, I think USC uh, can can go on a little bit of a run. Yeah, um, USC, that USC potential USC Auburn matchup, I think, is quite intriguing because USC has a pretty strong front line. Yes, they have real high level front front court play. Yeah, mixed with guards that can hoop. 
guards. Yeah, I think I, I feel like a big, big key for USC in that kind of game would be, you know, can they control the pace? I mean, again, we know that uh, Auburn is going to want to get up and down the court. And, again, sometimes I think it's to their detriment. Whereas USC, that's not their game. They're going to play probably more of a half-court kind of game. And if they're able to it, – it's a fascinating matchup because in some ways, as I saw someone say earlier, like Auburn's a weird team where teams that have actually sped Auburn up too much and gotten them out of control have actually found – that those are the teams that have beat them. So, you know, can you slow them down but also get them to make those kind of unforced errors that they, that they tend to make when they're not running their stuff efficiently – is a is a fascinating question. I really I don't think we've really seen anyone do it. You could make it. I mean, I feel like UConn when they beat them earlier in the season, like that game kind of got out of control. Like <laughs> UConn doesn't like to play that way, but they just like they were just all game for going up and down with them like that. So I wouldn't say that that that's a team you think maybe would have gotten to play like that, but they they weren't able to. So that's a fascinating matchup. It's a fascinating matchup to me because they got they got real length, they got real size. Um, Isaiah Mobley against. Those bigs, Smith and Kessler, I, I'd, want, I, I'd pay money to see that. I think that that would be an intriguing game. And if they, you know, that's a second-round match, so if they win that game, you would think that they'd have a very good chance to continue to move on. Yeah, no. Yeah, that 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 that's a matchup that – and look, Auburn's, you know, they got some scar tissue with the way they've played um, late in SEC play. Mm-hmm. Sort of – they look like a team that was going to be a lock for a one seed and sort of – fell backwards into a two. Um they they've got their guards have a lot to to prove. Um they've heard a lot of people speak ill of their name over the last week. Yeah. Uh, a lot of jokes being being told. Yeah, a lot of people are really finally starting to watch because it's close to March Madness. People want to get a look at Jabbar and they're like, who is this KD Johnson guy? Like right. Like who is this guy that's just, just like out of control? Yeah, and, and these guys are good players. I mean, Katie Johnson's had some big games this year, and Wendell Green's had some big games this year. And when they're on, I mean, Auburn's unstoppable, and that's why they have the record that they have. I mean, I've seen, I've watched again a lot of Auburn because, and I, I, I've loved watching Jabari play this year. So I, I, they, they can, they've kind of been adopted as my pseudo second team to watch for college basketball this year outside of Gonzaga. And I mean, there are games those guys dominate, but then again, there's a lot of games we watch, and you just like. What is going on? Like, if they could just play just a little more under control, this would be totally different. But Bruce Pearl doesn't seem to have any interest in reeling them in. And in some ways, I get it because the the fact that they are so aggressive makes them hard to guard. Like, as I, I remember a short story. I remember there was a funny story. I don't know, not a funny story, but an interesting story about um, somebody was asked, like, who was the toughest guy to guard in the NBA? And this is, like, um, maybe about 15 maybe about 15, 20 years ago when this question was asked. No, not 20, maybe like 15 years ago. And the person said easily without question, Allen Iverson. And I forgot which NBA player it was, so forgive me. But they asked him, why Allen Iverson? And they were like, because no matter, no matter whether shots are going in and out, no matter how he's playing, he's always going to be looking to score. And... As a defender, that's intimidating because, one, he has the ability to turn it on at any moment. And he's never going to take himself out of a game. Like, he's never, like, he's always, like, you could say, like, Kobe, like, and Kobe was kind of similar. But even Kobe or T-Mac or the other stars that era, Vince Carter, okay, they may not get it going. Okay, they may say, okay, I'm going to defer to Shaq. 
for Kobe. Yeah. Okay. You know, you know, T Mac. I'm okay. Maybe I look to get my teammates involved because I'm a good passer. Like, like you know, other guys may decide, hey, I'm, I'm gonna do other things because maybe my shot isn't going. Allen Iverson, there was none of that. It was I'm gonna just keep shooting until this this thing works. So, and that made him tough to guard. I made him again unstoppable because if he ever got it going, it was lights out for you. So, I say that to say when it comes to Green and Johnson, obviously I'm not saying those guys are AI, but that mentality of those guys are constantly in attack mode does keep the defense very honest because if you decide, okay, I want, I want to start shadowing more towards these bigs, those guys are going to keep keep coming after you, you know? It doesn't matter what the score of the game is. It don't matter how good Jabari Smith's playing or Kessel's playing. It don't matter what them guys are doing. Them guys are still going to attack. So for some, in some ways, I kind of get why Bruce Pearl says I got to just live with the bad if when they don't play well and hope that we find a way to win. I think the I think the problem honestly, Kendall, is they're not Allen Iverson. <laughs> so yeah, you know, but a lot of times they don't play well and it leaves them very vulnerable. Yeah, um, it's funny because another another sort of data point that I look that I point to um, is when I look when you start looking for upsets or teams that could go on runs, and we saw a little a little bit last year with Oral Roberts is the team if i feel like the team that maybe is the underdog will have is gonna have by far the best player on the court that's always a dangerous game man yeah. that's where you get steph, that's where you get steph curry's people like that max a smith's last season yeah, right um you know because it, i mean ohio state was a good team dwayne washington played good in that in that first right, round yeah. game but he wasn't better than max a smith and and Oral Roberts was, was able to go on a run, and Kevin O'Banner was the second best player on the court in those games against what was it, Florida and Ohio State. Like when when I look at uh, Jelly Walker at UAB, he's a name at, uh, of a guy on a 12 seed that will likely be the best player on the floor in their first round matchup. If you know if, whether or not they win that game, I don't know, but I know that. I feel confident in saying because the conference USA, conference USA is not a, a little sisters of the poor conference. Definitely not. Um, there were quite a few teams. I mean, Western Kentucky has real talent. Uh, Louisiana Tech has real talent. Middle Tennessee has real players. It's not a little sisters of the poor conference. Yeah, those are all very respectable programs. In college all very respectable programs yeah. that could compete against the bottom of like the SEC. You know, or the bottom of the American, or the middle of the American, honestly. Um, and so, and UAB obviously was 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 obviously really good, and he was by far the best player in the conference. wasn't even close, and that's that's saying something. There were some good basketball players in that conference, yeah. um, particularly our boy Kenny Walker Jr. Yeah, Kenneth Walker, Kenneth Lofton, sorry, Kenneth Lofton, rather. Yeah. Um, he was by far the best player in that conference, and. I, you know, and Houston strikes you as a team that doesn't have that sort of star power. They have lost their two best players in Tremont Mark and, and, and Marcus Sasser. Um, so it feels like if he if Jordan Walker gets on a roll, that might be the knockout punch. It might be the knockout punch that they need to take this Houston team out. I don't, and yeah. I don't know if they can answer for that. What we make of these these first four games? Because I think that. 
you know, we're recording this early enough to where, you know, we'll get this out well before these games start. So you'll really get some analysis here. And I don't want time to break down these games because, you know, that will be useless. But I'm talking <laughs> about break down teams. To the team that's going to get bounced in the first round. Well, yeah. Well, not even that. I, like, I'm actually going a different direction. Like, to me, we've seen these first four teams win this game and go out and then win that first round game. And sometimes go even further than that. Like, yes, uh, we both mentioned, you know, uh, you know, Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis. As I mentioned him on the stream, just an absolute stud. I saw him go mono mono with Johnny Davis in, a, in an excellent game in the Big Ten uh, earlier this year. The Wisconsin won. Um, Notre Dame is is a team that you know I think was a surprise in terms of just how the season kind of started and our expectations for them, and the fact that they're here. Mike Bray did an outstanding job. They got a freshman in Blake Wesley who is extremely impressive, who is getting plenty of NBA consideration. You know, is that a team that they get in? Could they make some noise? Uh, Wyoming, a team that really kind of limped its way to March Madness. And we want to talk about a conference that's not Little Sisters of the Board. The Mountain West, the Mountain West was, was they, they got some real dogs in that conference. That That is not a... Oh, we just kind of, you know, patty-caking our way through these no. games. I mean, they are some tough teams. And Wyoming started the year really dominant and kind of saw saw themselves struggle towards the end of a very difficult schedule through that conference. But they got two guys averaging almost 20 points. You know, Graham Ike, uh, Hunter Maldonado. Uh, EK, yeah. yeah. Yeah, EK, I'm sorry. Like, these guys, like, they got, they got high-powered kind of scorers. And to me, when you think about teams, you talk about guys having the best player on the floor – a lot of times, teams want to, people want to dismiss these teams that play these first four games because you know you got to win three games just to get to the second weekend. You're like, okay, how many teams are going to do that? But it's it has been done before. So are there any teams you look at in that in that field? You say, hey, you know, maybe this is a team that people maybe should consider in their bracket. I don't even mention Rutgers, but you know, Ron, Ron Harper is 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 a tank, um, and yes. he's also a really good player. What, what do you Baker. make of? Oh yeah, what do you make of of those first? Fourteen. I'm not mentioning the, uh, you know, the sixteens because, you know. <laughs> Shout out to my guy Peter Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, most electric sixteen C player I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I think a lot of people are Harper when they saw him as a sixteen because I think they, they wanted a glimmer of hope to, to see him as a fifteen to say, oh, maybe just maybe Brian can get it done. <laughs> yeah, be Brian versus Villanova. I mean, that would be a good basketball game. I, I feel like I, I told you before. I feel like Brian was punished. Like I don't know if Bri- like Brian. I don't, I don't think they should have been a 16. Or I definitely think they should have been the play-in. Like, yeah. I think that they kind of got, I think they kind of got a raw deal. I think they got punished for, like, their fans acting like lunatics. And, I mean, maybe they deserve to because <laughs> it seemed like they were, like, kind of enabling that behavior. But I don't know. They were, like, they only lost two games in conference. Like, they had a great season. And they were like, all right, go to the, go, go to, to Dayton. The, yeah, go to Dayton. I mean, I don't know. But anyway, uh, for those teams, that game those, break those like, yeah, for for those bubble teams, uh, do you see anybody? You say, hey, this team maybe could win maybe one or two games even beyond this first four matchup they got. I think I think both. And I know we harped on the St. Mary's thing, but I think both Wyoming and, and Indiana can beat St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those would be virtual toss ups. Um, from you know from an odds perspective. Um, it's it it it. I mean, it's it's interesting because you know Trace Jackson Davis 
Um, Indiana is a very weird team because talent they can play with anybody talent wise. They can compete with anybody. Um, Trace Jackson Davis when he's out there can can compete with anybody on on a night to night basis on any given night. Um, Parker Stewart's really good. Xavier Johnson's really good. Uh, Miller Cop is starting to play better. They 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 have an interesting team, but they're just they're just one of, they're another one of these Jekyll and Hyde teams where you don't know where you're gonna get. Yeah. Just like Michigan, just like Memphis, just like these teams that have this quote unquote talent in North Carolina that were top twenty five teams before the season that have guys who were five stars coming out of high school. They're they're a team that on paper should have no trouble with Wyoming. On paper should have no trouble with St. Mary's. You know, Graham E.K., you know, is a, is a very interesting story, very similar to to um, uh, Nemias Kata, you know, from Utah State the last couple of years. We have a guy who's, like, clearly not your normal Wyoming center. I mean, this guy's right, like yeah. seven foot, blocking shots, dunking on guys. I don't know where they found him. But, you know, very different, very different kind of situation. So he is actually not a good matchup for a type of, you know, mid-major team. He's not a good matchup for for Trace Jackson Davis inside. Um, but regardless, I think that's the one thing. If you look at Indiana, you say they're not that physically imposing on the inside. They don't. They're play, not. They don't play a lot of bigs. Trace Jackson Davis is their really their kind of their center. Um, yeah, he's so, a four. Like he's he's Paolo Bancaro in terms of his physical profile. Yeah. But he's, and, that, and that includes defense. Like he's not somebody that's gonna impact yeah. the game really. I think with like, you know, outstanding defense. He he can block some shots. Yes, he's a good he, athlete. Uh, yes, he's a great athlete. But he's under he's a little undersized. He's about six nine. And you know, EK six nine. But I mean, he plays like he's seven five. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, so. Exactly. That's a that's a that's gonna be that's gonna be a great matchup to watch. You know, in terms yes. of Indiana fans, maybe they'll feel a little concerned about foul trouble things like that, but. A, a great one-on-one matchup for uh, the first four four games. Yeah, you know, I mean, the other two games, I mean, <laughs> I I mean, both Alabama and St. Mary's can get picked off. St. Mary's, from a talent perspective, you know, is beatable by a lot of teams, whereas, particularly in the NCAA tournament, whereas you got an Alabama team that is going to be more talented than Rutgers and Notre Dame, but is also Jekyll and Hyde. It's also... You know, just got beat by Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament. So, could Notre Dame beat them? Absolutely. Could Rutgers beat them? Absolutely. You know, I, Rutgers is a team that lacks depth. That that worries that's, me. That's what scares me. Yeah, they've got five good players, and then nobody else. They yeah, they, they got to play those five guys basically. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, and against Iowa, we saw in the Big Ten tournament, like they got up early, but when Iowa went to a zone. They didn't know what they didn't know what hit them. Think about um, this minute breakdown, Kendall. When they played yeah. against Iowa in that game, their starters: Geo Baker, really good guard, thirty-nine minutes. Caleb McConnell, thirty-seven. Ron Harper, thirty-six. And that was with four fouls. McConnell yeah, and fouls. Harper. McConnell and Harper played with 30, played thirty-seven, thirty-six minutes with four fouls. Uh, McKay McK- uh, uh, thirty-four. Amaruri, yeah. thirty-two. Their bench gave them seven minutes, five minutes, five minutes, and five minutes. Yeah, it, that's that's hard. It, 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 because of March Madness, and we talked about it a little bit last night. 
the way they call fouls, some of these again, some of these referees think that they're the game, and they start calling <laughs> these ridiculous fouls. They want to they want to make it about themselves. Teams that have zero depth like scare me a little bit because all it takes for Ron Harper to get three in the first half, and now you're like, okay, well, what does Rutgers do now? You know, that's what scares you about about a team like Memphis, like I mentioned. Right, Duran gets in foul trouble. DeAndre Williams gets in foul trouble. It's good night. I guess Boise is good night. So, <laughs> you know, those types of teams can't afford to have that situation happen. The Rutgers is, 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 might be the number one team in the country like that. You know, yeah. not a lot of depth. And I think we also saw a Rutgers team that dealt with some, some that, that's going to deal with some fatigue as well. You know, um, if, if, even if they were to get by Notre Dame, but you're talking about the, the, the attrition that these guys have played. Yeah, playing the, not those guys are playing those kind of minutes in the Big 12. How do you think their body feels right now? Yeah, or in the Big 10, yeah. Big Ten, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Miss well, Miss Ten. Big Ten. Thank you. <laughs> That's why Kendall's a great teammate picking me up there. Big Ten. <laughs> playing those kind of minutes. How do you think their body feel today? Not great. And and if you win on what are they playing? They're, they're the Wednesday game, right? If I'm not mistaken. They are the Wednesday game, I believe. They're the Wednesday game. They'll play then on a Friday. Then if they win that, they'll have to play on a Sunday. That's a lot of, that's a lot of basketball. When the other team that they're playing Probably gonna be a little bit deeper. It's gonna be playing. It would have paid one less whole game than they have that week. Um, so yeah, I, Notre Dame to me is probably the team. Um, they've got shooting. You mentioned Blake Wes- Blake Wesley. Um, they 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 can stretch you from for, with the bigs as well. Um, I it's just again Alabama is gonna be more talented. Uh, it's gonna be more talented than than. Notre Dame and and Rutgers, but it's really what what version of Alabama are you getting? I think Notre Dame can also beat Texas Tech, which is not likely. That is not that's not a, it wouldn't be a common pick. the The problem I have with Indiana and Wyoming is I think Indiana could probably beat UCLA, but I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't feel comfortable. I would. I I feel you on that. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that too. Yeah. I feel like that'd be a very good game, but UCLA has too many weapons. I feel like that it would take a great game from Jackson Davis, and they'd have to get like two or three other guys to give you like if Jackson Davis can outplay Hakez or a Juzang, he's gonna need somebody else to outplay the other star from UCLA. And then you gotta worry about the other players from UCLA, you know, Tyre Campbell. Um, um, Bernard, you got to worry about those guys also because they're going to impact the game too. Like, those guys are impact players. Yeah. So Cody Riley. Is, Riley, like, do they have the next guy to say, okay, well, I'm going to step up and make a big play and make big plays here? Indiana is a very good team, and I love the way they played recently, but that's a, that's a hard, that's a hard bill. I think, I think you're on the money that if you had to say a team that can go beyond the one game. The first um, maybe weekend. a real run and get out of the first weekend. I think that I agree with Notre Dame because Notre Dame, you mentioned their ability to stretch the floor with their bigs. The fact that they actually have legitimate bigs, I think, is important too. Like, you know, yes. they have legitimate size. We've seen the how. really, really good. Um, Cormac Ryan and, and Blake Wesley's a really good backcourt. Absolutely. And you see, you saw how their size and their ability to not be just annihilated on the backboard. Like, that's why they, they were able to match up with Kentucky and beat them. Yep. You know, like, so they're not going to be physically, in, no one's going to bully them around. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they're going to be able to kind of play how they play. And they're not necessarily a team with a super, super high ceiling, but they don't necessarily beat themselves. And they got a lot of depth when it comes to scoring. They, they don't, they're not a team that's relying on just Blake Wesley. Dane Goodwin has had a really good season. Um, they are they're a very, very senior-laden uh, senior team. Uh, they have a lot of guys with a lot of experience. So I, I agree. I think Notre Dame may be getting a little overlooked. I think primarily because just honestly nobody thought they were going to do much this season. I, I think that they kind of did, did. Nobody expected too much from them, and then they barely made the tournament. So I think people are kind of like, all right, whatever. But, like, they've kind of defied doubts all year. And I do feel like the ACC has been a little bit undersold. Like, yeah, I know you're you're higher, a little higher. Yeah, I mean, 15, 15 and five in the ACC is just like that's a that's a good record. Like that's that's a more than a good record. Like that's a that's a very good team, you know. So so you take that, and they've had some good wins in non conference. That's the reason why they even got to this point. Another name I think is a team to to potentially to potentially watch out for. Uh, a couple more things, real quickly. Are, are there are there, there what are the who are the players you look at? that you say this guy is ready for the takeover. You know, I think we saw Johnny Juzang really last year be that player where it was like, you know, nobody expected it, but this guy went out there and the box office attraction. Yeah. Like this guy was just not gonna let his team lose. And this guy hit some big shots and he was just money when it came to this point in the season. Who, who, who are those guys? That I, I think a point lose? guard, cause people always talk about point guards are important when you're talking about, Going on deep runs, we've seen the Kemba Walkers, the Shabazz Napiers. I think a guy that could be like that this season—that's a pretty big name that no one's really talking about, not giving his due. Is I think Colin Gillespie has wow. a little bit of an opportunity to, to emerge as that kind of a player. That's a, that's I tell you what, Villanova needs him to be that. Yeah, oh yeah, I agree. You know, agree. like if he's not that, then they could lose in the second, third round, it's be 16, second round, yeah. or third round, whatever we're calling it now. Um, as Jay Villa said, 60 teams get a bye. <laughs> in your yeah, they, to be clear, though, officially they did go back to round one being when those games start on Thursday. Thank okay, God. Because there was there those two years where was, this is the second <laughs> and third round. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> nobody feels bad about those because they're like, oh, we don't want those other teams like, to play in. It's like, but you're making them play in the play-in, so it doesn't like we don't want it to feel like with something that's happening. Like that's what's happening, though. Yeah. So, so why are we making up the rules, changing the rules because you don't want these kids to feel a little better about you putting them in a bad situation? Like it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. But yes, we, we are officially now in round one once we get to the Thursday game. So you're talking about a round one, a round two potential game for Villanova. Gillespie is going to be. I agree. He he. If Villanova goes on a big run, you would think he's the guy. But Gillespie has had moments this season where Villanova, they won a lot of their games ugly. And they'll probably yes. win a lot of these games ugly in the tournament. But he's had moments against Providence um, on the road in the in the Dunkin' Donut Center. Um, against uh, against uh, Creighton in the Big, in the big Championship game. Yeah. He's had moments where uh, he has stepped up and been the shot maker and been the closer for Villanova and if you're looking at a guy who could wind who could end up emerging as that kind of player in this in this in this tournament um look there are plenty of guys I mean look I think Johnny Davis is going to be uh crucial for Wisconsin success um but but I, I look at Colin Gillespie as sort of a sleeper that that that's going under the radar no that's a good name I think Colin Gillespie is 
are a great name, honestly. And you know, he kind of had his his NCAA tournament robbed of him last year. You know, we don't yeah. even think about that. Like he didn't get to play because of the knee injury. And I think that a lot of the season, I think it's been him trying to like get himself to that point where he was before he got hurt. And I think we started to see it as the season went on. Um, that's a great name. Uh, I'll stay also in the Big East. Again, I mentioned him before. I think R.J. Cole is a player that, you know, UConn guards, and we've seen what those guys <laughs> have done in the past. And, and I, speaking of Cole and Gillespie, I saw R.J. Cole with a game winner against Gillespie um, yes. in the XL Center earlier this season in one of the best college basketball games all season uh, between UConn and Villanova. You know, the guy is as tough as nails. You know, I may be a little biased. He's from the New York City area. Like, so that, that, that goes into it as well. And look, man, if, if they go far, that means they're playing Gonzaga. So that shows you about how concerned I am potentially of, of, of seeing R.J. Cole in a single elimination kind of game. But I think he's potentially that kind of player. I think about David Roddy from Colorado State. Yes. Uh, I, I think that if they go far, people are going to learn about David Roddy. I think he's one of the best-kept secrets in all college basketball. And like I said, the guy is just a hell of a, he's a hell of fun player. Again, he's 6'5", he's like 250, and he's a power forward. And yeah. the guy is unstoppable. He's, shoot, Kendall, he's shooting 57% from the field this season. Yep. He's shooting 45% from three on decent volume. He's not a guy who's shooting one game, but he's shooting three threes a game. He's shooting 45% from three. The guy is an offensive juggernaut. And this is his first time getting to see because they've missed the tournament a couple of years. Uh, of course, we had a year where there was there was no tournament. Uh, this is the first time this guy is getting to see some of these top notch teams that maybe he would he hasn't gotten to see before. He's been a great player since he's been at Colorado State. Like, I, I am very excited to see what David Roddy does in the NCAA tournament again. He's got a really interesting matchup in that first round going up against uh, Dickinson from uh, from from uh, 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 Mar- uh, Michigan. You know, a seven footer against a guy who's six five. How does that work? But I think that Dave Roddy is somebody to pay attention to as a guy who, you know, I think about a guy, and I don't want to say it because he looks kind of like him, but we saw a guy like O'Banner last year, you know, kind of be like, who the hell is this guy? You know, yeah. I, I feel like Dave Roddy's, uh, in a way, a better version of, of O'Banner. I'm like, this is a guy to watch, man. I think that he's someone to uh, to pay attention to. So we, I had you, we made preliminary picks on the stream last night i think we should make official picks that we will more lock ourselves to at the very least to the podcast i'm not gonna say yeah, i ain't locking anything to i don't want to lock it to your bracket <laughs> so you see my bracket EJ, yeah, you we, don't have, we, have a, we have a bracket a fan family bracket challenge and it's very important to the Stewart family so i you know we have days obviously to, to get it out so i don't want to i don't want to lock uh and i have and, and to be clear so that now i know you have not filled the bracket out yet no, I haven't filled any bracket. Yeah, out. I have not so filled the all bracket. All this is still in theory preliminary. Yeah, so I I have not filled the bracket out yet either. But what I will say is, like, I'm a, like, I, you guys can definitely hold. I didn't want anybody to hold me to whatever I said on the stream in terms of picks. I, you can hold me to this, even if I change my mind. You can still hold me to these picks. So I will say in the West region, I will say Gonzaga gets out of it. I think they will have a hellacious fight with either Connecticut or Arkansas in the Sweet 16. But I think that they'll get to the final four because I think there's going to be shenanigans on that bottom half. I don't know if they see Duke or uh, Texas Tech. I, I just think something's going to happen down there that's going to be weird. And they might have a weird Elite Eight matchup that I think that they'll kind of breeze through. That's we 16 matchup. I think the matchup is going to be scary. 
but I think Gonzaga gets through. In the East, um, in the East, I, I think I said Kentucky last night. I think I'm gonna stay with. I'm, or I, I, I said Purdue actually. Um, yeah, I'm gonna stay with Purdue. I'm gonna stay with Purdue. I think that they're again. I'm thinking of future matchups. The Kentucky matchup is a really good one. I lean to okay, who has the best player on the floor? It's very close to Shea Wade and Jane Ivy. Not talking about the NBA, talking about college. I think I still would lean Ivy, and I'd say, okay, which team has a better chance of neutralizing the other team star player? I would say Purdue has a better chance of neutralizing Shibway than Kentucky does of Ivy. So I'll say they get get move forward. They'll play a very very tough Elite Eight matchup against UCLA, who I think will get to that uh, that that regional final in that region. You look at the South region. I'm very comfortable, just like I was last night, saying that Arizona is coming out. I don't really have much concerns about anything in their top half of their bracket. I'm not even that concerned with the bottom half of the bracket, though they have a team in there in Tennessee that did beat them. As I told people, I am not as sold on Tennessee as everyone else is, which is kind of an oxymoron because I have loved the SEC. I think it's been, I think it's been maybe the best conference. I know a lot of people have said the Big Ten, Big Twelve, but if you, when I just do eye tests, them SEC boys can hoop. Like, uh, they got, every time I, I think I've tweeted most times this year, the SEC got ballers, man. They got Jims and Joes, as Charles Barkley would say. So, I, I don't want to, so it's kind of weird I'm saying I'm not as sold on Tennessee, but I don't think UCLA is losing to Tennessee twice this season. I, I don't, I do not see that happening. I'm not as sold on Villanova as previous years. As I mentioned, I feel like a team like Loyola Chicago could find themselves there. I think a team like Ohio State with EJ Liddell, if he really has a great tournament, could maybe see themselves on a decent run. So I think Arizona will be fine. I think that they get through. And the Midwest, this was the tough one. Because I, cause I, I really, really, really like Kansas, and I really like Iowa. And they're just staring at each other in a potential Sweet 16 matchup. I'm off on Auburn. I can't I can't buy into how they play basketball. I don't know what the health is of Johnny Davis. And I don't like the I don't like the competitive spirit I've seen from Wisconsin recently. That's, that scares me a lot. So... It's bad because those have been two of my favorite teams to watch this year. But I'm bailing on both of them in terms of a long tournament run. But I'm, I'm staring at Kansas and Iowa. I said Iowa on the stream. I'm going to flip. I'm going to say Kansas gets that gets there. I'm going to flip from the stream. We'll see what my bracket looks like. I'm going to flip like Michael Cohen. <laughs> we could see what my bracket looks like. And I will. we will update you guys on the, on the status of our brackets when we do the show next week. So you'll know where, our, where we officially stand. But I just think for me, in that matchup, it's going to be a – I think it's a classic. I think it's a Sweet 16 classic potentially. But I think Kansas's size will not make things as easy for Murray as maybe other teams will. And – I just love Abaji. We were talking about players that could take over also. We, he's a guy I didn't mention. He is a guy I think that could take over this tournament too. Um, him and Brown on the wings, they're just a really great wing pairing. Like, hell of a game. If those teams play, I, that, that is a game I really hope we get, Kansas and Iowa. I picked Iowa to win that game last night. Tonight I'm picking Kansas. We'll see what happens when they get to that point. But for now, I'll say, I'll say it's Kansas. So that gives me Gonzaga versus Purdue. Uh, I will pick Gonzaga because of Gonzaga's offensive efficiency. That would be the best offensive team Purdue has played. I'm not 100% sold on their defense, as we saw in the Big Ten Championship game. So I think Gonzaga moves on. And in the other side, if this is Kansas and Arizona, 
a little bit of a different matchup, but I, I would go with Arizona in that game. Matherin versus Abaji would be uh, definitely box office kind of game. But I'll say Arizona moves on. I still think we get our Mark Few versus the Pupil game with Few, Few and Lloyd. I think Gonzaga cuts down the nets in a, a very, very competitive game in New Orleans for the national championship. Go to go through your preliminary. Kendall does not want to be held to these picks bracket <laughs> for the very shadowy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, you mentioned it, the South, Villanova and, and Arizona is a tough one for me. We know that one seeds, all four one seeds aren't going to make it. Who knows if any one seeds make it? We've seen years where no one seeds make it or one one seed makes it. So you never really know. Um, you know, I mean, it feels like the last time Memphis was like a real <laughs> a real threat was 2008 when all four one seeds made it. Um and so I I feel like I still vividly remember when all four seed, all four one seeds um did in fact make the NCAA tournament. I've been checked out pretty much since. But regardless, um I think we will see upsets. I will go though Arizona over uh Villanova. Arizona scares scares me. And it's not because of the team, but everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. And that scares me. They seem like the team that people are penciling in to make the final four. And that just just very it, it doesn't always work that way, particularly for a team that was very good. But I hesitate to say that they were dominant. Um, they were machine like, you know. I will say. Um, I don't know if they struck fear in teams in the Pac-12, particularly the better teams in the Pac-12. And so that that is what worries me. But I I think also people are penciling them in because they're in a weak they're in a weak region. Um, I don't know how that happened because it's not one overall seed, but they're they're in a yeah, they're in. Trust what, me, as a Gonzaga fan, I would trade their bracket for the bracket that we have any day and twice on Sunday. Yeah, and that's 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 it's bizarre how that how that yeah. uh, shook out. But yeah, Gonzaga, uh, I think Arizona's going to get out. Um, I think them versus Villanova could be a very hard fought game in the South, in the Midwest. Um, I'm going to, again, go with Chalk. I think Kansas gets out. Uh, I think Wisconsin could be a tough, could be a tough foe. We'll see um, what happens there with Johnny Davis's health. I think that's the key. If you're talking about a full, if you're talking about Wisconsin with Johnny Davis playing at a high level, they can beat anybody in the country. We know uh, we know he's about it. We know he's a. We know he, he he's one hundred percent. The big game, kind of like we know we seen. That's why, with, like when you made this the, the point about their competitive temperament, it's it, it was a good point because they have not played with the intensity that they played with throughout most of the Big Ten yeah, season before Giant Davis got hurt. Yeah, before Davis got hurt, really, really before they beat Purdue and locked up that Big Ten title. Yeah. Um, and it it sort of felt like everything else was kind of gravy at that point. Uh, you know, you assume that you're going to beat Nebraska. We could play, we could play at half speed and beat Nebraska, and then Johnny Davis gets hurt, and then all of a sudden, and Nebraska's playing excellent basketball. I don't know what got yeah, into yeah, Fred Hoiberg's team the last two weeks of the season, but and so and a lot of things went wrong. But then you then lose to Michigan State, a team that you should beat. And Davis, you don't know if it's the injury or if it's again going through the motions. But if they play at a high level, they absolutely can beat Kansas. They can beat Auburn. I, you know, and that's. That's saying something because those are good, very good basketball teams. But yeah. you know, I go back to the best player on the court theory. 
you know, if Johnny Davis is the best player on the court, you know, not many teams can beat this uh, this Wisconsin team. Uh, but I'm going to go Kansas for now. Um, in the East, the East is a tough one, man, because I think the East can go to to like four or five different teams. Yeah, I feel like the East is most wide open. Kentucky is the safest pick. They are the team that they're, they're again also, even though they're not the one seed, a lot of people are sort of penciling in to make the Final Four. Um, you sort of know what you're going to get from Oscar Shibwe and the front court. And so with that being said, they feel like a comfortable pick. The backcourt play worries worries me a lot. Um, we talk about you need high-level guard play to win in the NCAA tournament or high-level shot makers on the perimeter. I don't know if they've got that. I mean, Kelvin Grady can be that. He's got to be more aggressive. They don't really necessarily play through Kellen Grady. And I get it. You know, they're a great team. They're deep. You'd rather play through Oscar Chibwe or just, in theory, just take a lot of shots and play through Oscar Chibwe through rebound through the rebounds uh, if necessary. But they're gonna if they're gonna face they're gonna beat Purdue, who they may face, and even Texas. They're gonna need to make plays on the perimeter as well, and that's that's what scares me. And then if you do face a UCLA or you face a Baylor. All those teams that I mentioned have better guards than Kentucky. And and that may even be a controversial thing to say, because I think there are a lot of people that like Wheeler, that like Washington, that like Grady. And those guys are good college basketball players. But I don't know if they're Final Four level. Um, so I'm going to go, for now, UCLA. But it's wide open. It could very easily be Baylor. It could very easily be Purdue. Uh, and I think Texas can also go on a run as well. Uh, and then in the in the West, I said it yesterday. I'm gonna go with Duke. Duke scares me because I think they could lose in the second round. Um, I think feel pretty good that they could beat Texas Tech. Texas Tech's a really great defensive team, but I think they rely on playing on beating teams that aren't great. Um, I worry about if they play. I, I, like I mentioned, if a team plays really well against them, like we saw Kansas State play really well against them on the road a couple of weeks ago, and they really didn't have much of an answer. They were able, to, I believe, they were able to come out of that game with a win, but it was it was, it was completely nip and tuck. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like Duke should be able to win that game, and if that if they get to that point, and I mean, look, Duke and Zaga, um, if that winds up being the matchup. I mean that's that's splitting hairs, man. That's yeah. That's, so we saw we saw it in Vegas. It was a, yeah. It was a one of the best college basketball games this season. Yeah, and I don't think Duke is playing at the same level as they were at that point. Uh, yeah, that's that's what that's Zag what I better. feel like. Yeah, that's why I feel comfortable with Gonzaga. I feel like Duke Duke played their best game of the season that night. Yes, and especially when exactly. you consider you no know, Paolo got like the cramps and those other guys on the bench played really well. Like they they don't guys ain't playing like that anymore. Nobody is playing like that anymore on Duke. So that's except maybe Mark Williams, honestly. He's maybe the only guy playing at that same Roach level. is playing playing. Roach well. is shooting the ball extremely well. He deserves a lot of credit. Thank you for bringing him up. I don't want to forget him. So maybe those two guys are playing. Roach well, is not playing. Is not playing, playing t- Roach played terrible in that Gonzaga game. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but Roach is playing great. Keels was more. an that game. He is not. He's kind of disappeared. Wendell you know? Moore sort of fell into the back a little bit as well. Yeah. And Van Carroll has been good, but he's been, you know, you know. I think the knock on him is that 
he's he could be a little sleepy at times. He could be a little yeah, you played know, a little content. Played a little content. You know, a Duke a Duke player told uh, a former Duke player told Reese Davis at the Duke North Carolina game that he he glides. You know, he doesn't he doesn't play with a real motor, um, and that is the common knock for for your superstar one and done power forward. <laughs> the Blake Griffin, the the Ben Simmons type, but that is I, honestly why I think Duke goes on a run is because I think Big Arrow turns it up to a one hundred, particularly after the way they've played, and I think he's I think I think he's the best player in the country, and so if he turns it up to a one hundred, I don't think that there's any stopping him at least in this region. All so right. I got going to the to the Final Four. All right, all right, uh, got, what we got here. Uh, for now, for now, I, I probably lean, man, I probably lean Kansas. I think wow. Kansas, uh, I know it's like a yuck situation, right? Kansas, but, yeah. <laughs> but, I feel uh, good for the kids though. I try to keep the, the adults out of it. Yeah. I mean, I just don't like the brand, uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel you. personally. Uh, you know, I can't speak for other people, but Memphis fans do not like Kansas. But well, 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 so now you're bringing something totally. I, mean, I was no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on ancient history, and Derrick Rose not following. And yeah, I'm like, I don't really have a problem. I don't care about that. David McCormick. It's, it's, yeah, I, I thought you were saying, oh, you know, Bruce, you know, uh, you know, Bill Self. I don't want to. Yeah, no. Nah. There's a lot of people that. that yeah, that just, I said, okay, I get you on that. You know, that's why I said yeah. I'm not worried about the adults when it comes to this. Situation. Yeah, I, I, I'm not worried. I'm more worried about Mario Thomas. <laughs> And Sharon Collins and I am uh, yeah, the only person thinking about Mario Trauma Mitch Lightfoot this, during this Kansas tournament run. <laughs> just, just to put that out there, one hundred percent. But yeah, I think I think this Kansas team, I, Arizona again. I, it's a hard job to win a national championship in your first year as a head coach. Um, this team is really scrappy. Again, I they're constructed. The roster building from a college basketball perspective was brilliant. <laughs> from Tommy Lloyd, he built yeah. a team that. On paper, isn't like you know the most talented team in college basketball, but just has just enough talent. And he's just a good enough coach to where they're extremely hard to beat. Um, but I don't know if they're talented enough to run away from a team like Kansas. And so I think Kansas beats them in that game, and I think Duke beats UCLA in 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 that perspective matchup. And I think you got Duke Kansas to be again yuck. Uh, from a from from for a lot, of, a lot of college basketball fans, but um, but I think Kansas would outplay Duke in that situation. So for now, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the the Kansas Jayhawks. If they end up winning it, uh, I'm gonna take all the credit. Uh, even even if I don't pick it <laughs> in the actual uh, holy bracket, um, the team X Y Z bracket. We'll, <laughs> we'll see what that looks like or the Tank Squad bracket. Now, um, we'll see what that looks like, but. For now, yeah, I'm going with uh going with the Kansas Jayhawks. I think with Kansas important X factor to follow. I think they have two. Uh number one, Remy Martin. Absolutely. Very, he could be an absolute uh dynamo when he yeah, plays. Yeah. He's had a very weird season for Kansas. Some of the West messaging out of Kansas with him has been weird. It's like they don't really want him there, but they don't got a choice. They got no other point guard. But the guy when he's good is like electric. And Jalen Wilson, you know, yes. those two players that you would think have extremely high ceilings, 
kind of tumultuous times in uh, in in Lawrence, how those guys perform in the tournament, I think, will be very crucial to see if they end up cutting down the last nets of this tournament. That's a great place to wrap the show this week. So I got to thank, again, my teammate, my partner, Crime Kendall, for another great episode of New Generation Sports Talk. Hope you guys enjoyed. Of course, if you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to check out all of our episodes on New Generation Podcast Network. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, make sure to check us out on YouTube. New Generation Media is where you can find that again. If you want to see the video version of us talking about this March Madness tournament, we did do a live stream the night the the brackets were revealed. So you can check us out on YouTube for even more in-depth analysis, particularly if you want to see our takes on on how the NBA draft might be impacted by this this NCAA March Madness tournament. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast. And, of course, follow us on Facebook as well. You can find us searching New Generation Media. Individually, we can find us on social media, Kendall's Twitter, New Gen Ken. I'm on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. And on Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.